Hello and welcome to episode 305 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the film director Stephen Kayak. He's known for making a variety of films and documentaries such as Scott Walker, 30 Century Man, Stones in Exile, We Are X, If I Leave Tomorrow, Sid and Judy, and what we focus on purely today is Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed. This is a great documentary and is just literally, as we're listening here right now, has been released for you to rent on digital platforms. So please, if you've enjoyed today's episode afterwards, go and check it out and I promise you'll absolutely love it. It's an amazing documentary all about Rock Hudson and his life and I won't spoil it but it's just very moving and will make you very emotional but in a great way. It's brilliant and the chat that I have today is absolutely awesome with Stephen and that'll be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But before I get there let's talk about episode 304. I was joined by, oh my god this was such a hell of an interview for me, the absolutely amazing Andy Hull from one of the best bands in the world, Manchester Orchestra. One of my most downloaded episodes this year. Also this is available on my YouTube channel as a video because many people have been harassing me for a long time now saying please get these interviews out there on video. I don't have time to listen, I want to sit and watch them at home instead. And do you know what, I've done that and it's been an amazing success already. So if you want to go and check that out on YouTube, it's literally Mark and me and on there you can subscribe to my channel, give me a thumbs up and just leave a comment, it really means the world. But today it's all about Stephen, an amazing film director, an amazing documentary maker and I can't wait to share this with you. So here's me and Stephen talking all things film. So Stephen, thank you for taking the time to join me today on the Mark and Me podcast. <laughs> of course, my pleasure. What I love to do, Stephen, with every guest that's been on, I've just done over 300 episodes now, uh, actors, directors, film stars, producers, bands, songwriters, literally anyone from all walks of life get the same first question. What I'd love to know is when you were a kid growing up, what was those first memories of film that you have? Maybe you were at the cinema or someone in your family gave you a VHS or something, but that first film that you watched that made you fall in love with film? That's a very... Strangely, a very difficult question. I mean, the first memories of film and then the first real love affair with film, I think, are maybe two different things. Honest to God, the one that sticks with me the most, uh, I don't know if you had this. Well, of course, you must have had this film. Escape from Witch Mountain was a big favorite of ours. Uh, I think the budding goth in me really enjoyed the, you know, kitty horror type <laughs> movies. Uh, I wasn't much for the corny side of cinema. I know I was dragged to see Herbie the Love Bug when it came out. Um, <laughs> but I think Escape from Witch Mountain, something about that has haunted me my entire life. It's still um, stuck with you today. Yeah, it really has. It actually popped up on TV not that long ago, and I couldn't believe it. We watched the whole thing, and it was the strangest experience you know, you see things sometimes that you haven't seen in a while, but I mean, since I was six, you know what I mean? It was really uh, extraordinary. I don't know if at this point I admit to you, I've not seen that film. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, run, don't walk. Uh, it you looks, uh, I've just, I've just Googled it now from the late seventies. It looks like a film I want to watch right away. 
yeah, it's 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 pretty great. I think there's been sequels and remakes. And yeah, it's just a. I think I think a lot of people of a certain age like were hypnotized by that film in some way before they understood what they were watching or why they were watching it. You know what I mean? See, now I'm really uh, intrigued and I really want to check it out. <laughs> so after seeing this real uh, movie experience that kind of warped you and kept with you for many, many years, um, were there certain films that you started to notice or a genre that you were really enjoying as a kid or as a teenager that made you then think, do you know what, I'd like to actually be involved in the production of a film? Well, that didn't come until much later, honestly. I mean, growing up, suburban uh small town america you know not a lot of access to stuff i mean yeah we we eventually had a big blockbuster video in town but i mean the the two movies that just were the anchors uh, of my childhood i think post which mountain would have been like Grease and xanadu you know what i mean yeah honest to god like these these weird musical fantasias um i mean we watched greece every weekend you know every single weekend we couldn't get <laughs> enough of greece um xanadu to a lesser degree um you know and then i strapped on some roller skates and would roller skate around the neighborhood and i'm sure in my head i thought i was olivia newton john and i was ready to take off like one of those crazy muses i mean it was you know, I mean, you're a kid. These things, like, you, you don't know what a good movie or a bad movie is. It's just, you know, it's sound and vision, and it just takes you away. I mean, from there, I think the first real serious, quote, movie bug uh, came in high school when our attention shifted to Liquid Sky, the really whacked-out cult New York new wave movie. Yeah. Um that just i mean that replaced greece in our maturing minds and that that became the weekend kink you know what i mean and we taped the soundtrack off the tv and would do routines to me and my rhythm box um yeah i mean you can see you can see a pattern developing um you know because i i end up doing music based movies mostly um and really after the 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 early uh exposure to these films i really just wanted to be in bands and do music movies a film didn't really kind of grab me as a thing to do until i was really in in college so while you're at college and you wanted to then go down that road of filmmaking and obviously you've been making films now for over 25 years did you have the full support from your family you know where you said you were from i suppose it'd be a bit uh, different to announce to your parents that you suddenly want to go and start making films and become a filmmaker, or were they very supportive from the start? Very supportive. I mean, you know, I was an artsy kid growing up. Anyway, my mother was a community theater mom. You know what I mean? So I grew up with musicals and and theater and that kind of stuff in in the house. Uh, they they were into it. I mean, they loved it. Like they just were super supportive. I mean, I was in the marching band in high school and I was editor of the newspaper and I was always writing and, and doing musical stuff. So it just sort of was a natural, my, I have an, my mother's older sister is, uh, or had been a, a famous ballet, ballet dancer. Um, and her younger sister, while not in the arts was at Woodstock in 69. So, That's you know, there cool. was, there was a bit of that. My great, my grandfather was a painter. 
So uh, all of this was a real natural progression. There was no resistance. They bought me guitars. They bought me a drum set. Why? I don't know what parent would willingly buy their kid a drum set, but <laughs> they supported every whim. It was, it was kind of great. Um, that is amazing. I wish they had made me stick with the guitar lessons, but other than that, you know, no complaints. As a kid, we want to give up straight away. I started playing piano at the age of like <laughs> nine and I rebelled. I was like, I'm not doing it. And I got to like grade six. I was doing really well, but I was just like, I'm not, I was like, I'm not doing it. You're making me do it. Yeah. Sure that's stuck that, really. with it. So when it goes down to the world of obviously documentary making, were there certain ones that you watched as a, a teenager or young adult that made you then get really interested in the art of making a good documentary? Because there is filmmaking and obviously um, that requires a lot of skill. But with documentary making, especially a lot of documentary makers I speak to, the amount of editing, the amount of research, the amount of access that you need, it is on a whole other level, isn't it? It is. It is. And it all happened to me by complete accident. I mean, when I really got focused on making films and I was in college, I mean, we were in the heyday of like a, a second, like another, like kind of a tourist wave, if you will. I kind of hate the concept, but it was El Modavar. It was Adam Agoyan. It, I mean, Lynch and John Waters were there at the foundation. I studied with the man Ray Carney at Boston University, who wrote the book on John Cassavetes, literally had all of John's 16 millimeter prints wow. before some of them were even on video. So like we, we were seeing these things early on. And um, it was that that really took hold, you know, the Vin Vendors. Uh, I remember, you know, I had a terrible breakup and I went immediately to the Brattle Cinema in Cambridge and saw a double bill of Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown and Wings of Desire. I mean, that was... Those were the the things that were sort of shaping uh, my sensibilities. And the first thing I did was a scripted film. That was a complete and utter disaster, um, despite still being available for people to watch, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and documentary was a complete and total accident. But luckily, you know, um, I was living in New York and had and had been able to see you know, either things that I had rented or just great revivals of some of the greats, you know, like, um, I mean, Grey Gardens, obviously one of the greats of all time. And that kind of gave us a foothold for the first documentary uh, I ended up doing, which is called Cinemania, which was about, you know, manic obsessive film buffs in New York City. Um, and I had gone to a screening of Grey Gardens where Al was there just to kind of corner him and say, how did you do it? <laughs> you know, I'm embarking on a film about completely unhinged people uh, in New York who live in this subculture of cinephilia. And he just said, you just have to love them while the camera's rolling. You know, <laughs> good with advice. But those big bushy eyebrows of yeah. his and his glasses. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it, it was sort of, you know, the, those films, him and Pennebaker's, it sounds cliche, but those those were the two poles. You know, when you started getting into serious documentary filmmaking, it's Gimme Shelter and it's Grey Gardens are the two kind of great foundational inspirations. And I know that you worked uh, on a documentary only a couple of years ago on The Smiths. Is that correct? That was a feature film. Yeah. That was, a, a, an, ex that was an excursion back into scripted uh filmmaking nothing to do with the band itself other than it their breakup is the catalyst 
for the so narrative. What, was it, what so. was it that made you then go back into the art of filmmaking instead of documentary? Was it just you just the opportunity came oh, and it felt too I good? wanted to do it for years. I mean, yeah. I've always written scripts and I've always entertained, you know, scripted narratives. And uh, to me, that was, you know, a nice bridge back through music, which had become my pocket for a while. Um and that was my child. It was like it was it was my story. Finally, I mean, after after a point, honestly, the documentaries are work for hire. They're jobs. You make them passion projects, but your stories kind of or my stories get uh, got kind of shunted aside. And you're at the service of other. You're making other people's dreams come true. Essentially, is what it is. And I mean, we do it with the utmost uh, professionalism and attention, but. There is a point when you're like, but, but me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I have a, I have a narrative thread to un, unleash and unfold and I want to start getting to it. So, uh, yeah, it was just a script I had that I developed and it, unlike a lot of the docs, this one took <laughs> 10 years to get off the ground. And, uh, you know, it was a very difficult, painful process. But I mean, you've it. covered um, you've covered many bands during your career: David Bowie, Scott Walker, Rolling Stones, Backstreet Boys. So many different um, arts, so many different bands, so many different groups, and so many different genres. But is there still a dream list of someone that you'd love to do a documentary on? That you, if you had the opportunity, and it didn't take ten years to get greenlit, you just snap someone's hand off straight away. Hmm. I get asked that a lot. I don't know. I mean, there's so many. It's a hard one because you know it's a be careful what you wish for sometimes with some of these, these ones, but, um, you know, I, I still think there's 20 documentaries you can make about Bowie. I think you could endlessly make films about Prince. Um, you know, Kate Bush is a, a delicious enigma. I'd love to attack one day. Um, if Susie Sue would ever, you know, come, come, you know, answer our emails. <laughs> I'd love to indulge my, my, my Gothic sensibilities and, and do a film about the goddess. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, there's, it's one of those things where like, you you know, when you see it, I, I, I almost just put the antenna up and, and see what comes our way. Um, and I, and, and yeah, it's been a really surprising and interesting trip. <laughs> And at the moment, obviously, you're promoting Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed. Now, with this documentary, how was it that it came about and was brought to you? Uh, uh, producers that I work with quite frequently developed it and, again, brought it to me out of the blue um, and asked me if it would be of interest. And it was a great interest, um, great interest indeed. Um, it was nice to just, you know, take a little break from the music stuff uh, and to do something that had more of a social point to it. Um, I had done a series for HBO Mac called Equal, which was yeah. all about the LGBTQ rights struggles in the years you know, leading up to Stonewall. And we were able to do it with a really cool, unique sort of hybrid sensibility. And it, we, I thought it was great. We loved it. It had a great experience. And it was, it was felt good to finally be uh you know exploring queer narratives and doing something that you thought actually could move a conversation a little bit in the world um so this similarly fit right into that uh kind of project you know um just given the state of the world and the 
the kind of increasing anti-gay trends, everything, legislation, violence, uh, all of it. We're in a very difficult spot again. And, you know, it's never a bad time to tell stories of our gay elders with a decidedly queer point of view. That was it. I really wanted to, you know, really get in there and tell tell the inside story. I always find it fascinating when a documentary maker produces their final work and it's like the the final edit and they're happy then to hit that, you know, publish button and it be the final mix down. How, when you're tackling a topic for someone like Rock Hudson, who has so many years of footage and so much, how do you even start to kind of whittle that down to a realistic time frame for a, a documentary? Because you must have had to leave so much stuff on the, the director's floor and the editing floor. Always. Every film is like that. Yeah, I just you know? I must be so, so tough. Well, it's the job, you know, and... Again, it's not it's not like this decades long passion project. Uh, you you are beholden to your budget, and your schedule, yeah. and you've got producers cracking the whip, and you're staring down a deadline. So, it's it's just experience and time management. Honestly, good outlines, great editor, uh, and off you go. I mean, it was to me it was very fast because there was it was such a vast amount of material. Um, I felt terribly rushed and in just completely unsure if we had landed it and if we really had a film and, you know, our final mix back mix, our final mix watch back with the producer. She was in tears when the lights came up. So she's like, I, I think it's your best movie. I went, oh, well then I think we did it. So yeah, sometimes they just get away from you. You, just, you have no idea what you're, you're actually doing but you 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 start to develop the instincts to shape it yeah this one there were so many little paths and detours that i wanted to go down um and we you know they're never finished that's the thing they're never actually finished for me um but you know it's a rock hudson story not the rock hudson story there's yeah. books and there's a lot more research you can do and um so yeah but it's uh yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's interesting, and it's also interesting not having music to rely on to shape your emotional arcs. That was probably the biggest challenge for us. As the editor I work with, we've done a number of the music films together, and you find that that's you're like, oh wow, we've had this enormous crutch to guide emotion and to push story. It's the songs, it's the artist's songs, um, and we really didn't have that, so. That was tough. I had Alex Winter on uh, only a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about documentary making in quite great detail. And he did a documentary on Frank Zappa, and he had the whole yes, access did. from his family, and you know he had the archives and got some real exclusive footage. Um, and every day he was learning new stuff. Was there something that you weren't prepared for with Rock Hudson that once you had this access and once you were going through this stuff really opened your eyes or told you a different story in your head or gave you a different kind of impression from making the documentary? Not really. I mean, cause I didn't really have much of an impression. No. It wasn't somebody that I held on to as like a dream subject or, you know, I, I was more interested in Douglas Sirk than I was in rock Hudson, you know, yeah. I was more interested in the directors he worked with. Um, but you know, we were very lucky to work with Mark Griffin, the author of the big juicy biography. All not juicy; it's it's just rich. Uh, all that heaven allowed. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it really gave us a good framework to work in. Um, and yeah, I guess the biggest thing, it, it, it was more of a disappointment that Rock Hudson is the worst interview in Hollywood. I mean, it's from the 50s, they even write about how hard it is to interview him. And that's, oh, the big secret revealed would be on these these pop mag these magazines from the 50s. And you're like, oh, what's the secret? And it's like, he's the worst interview in town. Like, he gives nothing away. He almost doesn't know how to explain himself. The publicist has to whisper in his ear. And then as the years go by and the more you collect from him to try to get him to tell his own story, you find that, oh, God, it's impossible. He doesn't tell you anything. Even like you're not expecting him to come out and like reveal himself. Is it's just there's just nothing there at all. It's very weird. Um, he's very flat. He's very dry. He talks very mechanically about films, and not often with a lot of enthusiasm. So you're kind of screwed. You have to find new ways in to figure him out. Um, so that must and, be a real challenge because all the footage you're watching, you just be like, oh, come on, just tell me more. Give me something 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 in there <laughs> um even to, i mean the and the, the the most revealing one we ended up not using because we couldn't contextualize this very weird interview from the i believe it's even the early 80s in spain and it's like wow, what's he doing there and they ask him if he would want to go out to the to the dances or something with would you take bo derrick or richard gear and he's like <laughs> Oh, I'll take Richard Gere. And he kind of laughs it off. But we thought, oh my God, it's like, is that actually, has he actually finally admitted that he wants to go out with dudes? Or is this just him joking around? Um, but it was a very odd interview. And we, we, I, I, I don't, I don't know why. Again, it ended up not being used for some bizarre reason. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, there was just it was a very strange journey with him, which is why we ended up leaning so heavily on the clips, yeah, and just continuing to repurpose and use use them and and rely on people that knew him to kind of make it more personal. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of this, so I could obviously see it before today's interview. I'm not just saying this. Me and my wife spend almost every single night watching documentaries just on Netflix. You know, just sit there. What should we watch tonight? Oh, I don't know what to watch. Let's put this on. And I'll watch everything from crime to real-life drama, all these different ones. And I'm not just saying this. Your documentary was absolutely beautiful. It was so well-constructed. It was so well Thank put you. together. And, yeah, at the end, I was almost in tears. I was just like... Yeah, I was, I was very emotional. I think you should be really, really proud if you don't feel like you were given enough time to get it to where you wanted it or the edit wasn't quite <laughs> as long as you had hoped. You worked miracles because it was absolutely unbelievable. Thank you. That's uh, very nice to hear. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's, 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 it's really down to great collaboration. And Claire Didier and I have done, that's my editor, I have done a number of things together now. And you know, it, 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 we're, I, I'm l completely lost without her. She's one of the best, very musical, very lyrical, um, very sensitive. Um, and yeah, just, uh, we just get each other and are able to understand duration and time and shape things with, you know, she's very good at pulling out the emotional rhythms of things, uh, 
yeah, we just had a lot of fun doing it too. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> it's good to hear. I mean, the, we ultimately wanted it to be an emotional journey of some of yeah. the facts and figures are left out or we've missed four or five hundred boyfriends, um, you know, <laughs> so uh, say la vie, uh, we got the important ones in there. What I'd like to ask as well is I have a lot of filmmakers and um, students and people going into film school listening to these podcasts. That's why I've got a lot of directors and actors on here. What advice do you give to someone right now trying to get into the industry? Because everybody's got a camera, everyone's got an iPhone, everyone can be a filmmaker. But what do you think it needs in the world today to kind of stand above the rest or to at least be seen for the work you're doing? That is a really, really hard question because the answer to that seems to change daily at this Hourly. point. Things, yeah. things are, yeah, things are in such a weird, weird flux. I mean, in general, I always tell people to just build community and find collaborators that you trust and to grow together. I mean, if you look at my body of work i mean i've worked with maybe two three producers over you know 13 projects lots of repeat business you know what i mean we just kind of stick together you find teams that just work you know and it really is about relationships with producers you know the mo most i would say on the dock side definitely um except for maybe one experience um they're good friends to this day. I mean, they're drinking buddies, they're confidants, and we're great collaborators. Um, and obviously, uh, editorial, uh, your editor is, is your best friend. I mean, I don't, I, I know how to cut. I learned to cut on film, actually. I'm, I'm of that generation. I cut on an old 16 millimeter flatbed, Steenbeck. And, um, but I, I'm not as skilled with an avid so you know i know it i know the vibe and i know the actual like editing is in my dna it's very important but like to have that that relationship is so crucial and i don't know as far as storytelling you know it i'm a member of the academy and i i see all the documentaries that are vying um for the big award and um I just think the ones that break through for me, I mean, it might not even be the ones that get across the finish line. It's just, it's just an authenticity of voice. You know, you can tell when a director is committed to the subject. Um, and I don't know how else to put it. It's just, it's, it's almost like inarticulable in a way. It's so hard to give advice because my journey has been so slow and, you know, it's just, it's been a slow burn in a way. And part of it's just being completely um, pigheaded and not giving up. You know, um, I could have chucked it a lot along the way, but there comes a point and I don't have an option. What else am I going to do now? So it's like, you know, this is just a determination to stick with a subject and a story, but to do it with a great team of collaborators is, is essential, you know? Amazing. And my final question for you today is, I ask this to everyone that comes on, but what I try and do to make the podcast as original as I can is whoever's been interviewed gets to choose the final song that's played at the end of the episode. So once this is all edited <laughs> and ready for the world to listen to, you can choose any song by any band or any musician or any piece of music that means something to you. 
Now, I know as a huge fan of music, there might be a million songs in your head right now, but try and think of the one that comes to your heart and soul before any other. And if there's a reason why you love this piece of music, that's almost as interesting as the song itself for me. Well, it's always going to be my my favorite, my hero, uh, my number one. It's going to be Scott Walker. Yeah. And it's going to be The Old Man's Back again, just because it's the best bass line ever laid down to vinyl and uh, the voice and all of it. Um, that's what I think more than anything, more than any director, he set a bar as a creative person uh, for me and making that film, uh, which was my first like, music film, uh, was one of the most satisfying experiences of my life. And uh, yeah, he's always there. Just kind of, I mean, I can't imagine what he thought when I made a film about the Backstreet Boys. I was so embarrassed. Um, but he set a bar, which you can never reach, but he's he's a guiding light, you know. That sounds incredible. Um, thank you so jam. much. It's one of the best. Yes. I, what I'll do now is usually I spend a few hours editing and then I always get excited by putting the last piece of music on. And then because I've not heard much of this, I'll then spend the whole week going down this whole like rabbit hole and just listening solidly to someone new. And this is great for me because it just means I'll be really, really enjoying the fact that I can go out there and just, yeah, just absolutely unbelievable. Good stuff. Thanks for the chat. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Stephen. What an amazing guy. What a lovely, humble guy and has some amazing work. Go and check out all of his work. I urge you all to do it right away. He's such an amazing mastermind of filmmaking and has such an art to his craft. And Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed is literally out now. So go and download it or rent it on a digital platform and then let me know what you think. Because I absolutely love that. That's the best compliment a podcast can get is if someone goes and checks out a book, an album, a film, a documentary because you've talked about it. And hopefully today's interview has done that for you. Also, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of the podcast, Richer Sounds and Folio Society. Without those guys, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast, so a massive thanks to those guys. And if you're listening right now, please take the time to like any of the updates you see on Twitter or Facebook, share them on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, or please, if you can, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And the most important thing is I do have a Patreon account. Each and every month on there, I upload exclusive episodes for you guys at home. I give you a welcome pack. I try and give a newsletter each and every month when I can. I give you updates before anyone else. And honestly, all the money that goes in on Patreon goes right back into the podcast. And there's a link on markandme.com if you want to sign up on there. But it's really, really appreciated. I'll be back in only a couple of days' time with another brand new episode and another YouTube video as well. So I can't wait to share them with you. So until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon. I've seen a hand, I've seen a vision, it was reaching through the clouds to risk a dream. A shadow crossed the sky And it crushed it to the ground Just like a beast The old man's back again The old man's back again I seen a woman Standing in the snow
silent as she watched them take her man. Teardrops burned her cheeks, for she thought she'd heard the shadow had left this land. The old man's back again. Just gathered, their faces turned away, and they queue all day like dragons of disgust. Older women whispering, wondering just what these young hotheads want of us. And Andre V he cries with eyes that ring like chimes. His anti-worlds go spinning through his head. He burns them in his dreams. For half awake, they may as well be dead. The old man's back again. I see he's back again. A soldier, he's standing in the rain. For him, there's no old man to walk behind. Devoured by his pain, bewildered by the faces who pass him by. He'd like another name, the one he's got's a curse. These people cry. Why can't they understand? His mother called him Ivan. Then she died. The old man. 